Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Uttering Engineers. We are a podcast created by engineering students for engineering students. My name is Patricia. I am a second year electrical engineering student here at the Schulich School of Engineering. And this first episode of the first year courses series, we are going to talk about Engineering 233. Today, we are joined by Dr. Mohammad Mosherpour, who is an instructor and coordinator for the course. So, Dr. Mosherpour, do you mind briefly introducing yourself? Oh, hello, everybody. My name is Mohamed Moshapur. I'm uh, an instructor and uh, Schulich Chair in Software Engineering at uh, the University of uh, Calgary. I teach a variety of different programming and software engineering courses, um, uh, namely ENG 233 um, and the ENSF 409, which is uh, Principles of Software Development, of, uh, Software Architecture, Software Testing. And I'm also the director of the new MEng in Software Engineering program. So how long have you taught the course? Um, and uh, as I understand it, this course is taught using the flipped classroom format, correct? That's right. Why was this implemented and what changes have you been uh, have been observed since implementing it? Absolutely. So I'll give you a little bit of a story to address your uh, first question with regards to uh, how long I've been teaching H233. So I started teaching H233 uh, in um, fall of... 2012. So uh, this was when I was a graduate student. So I wasn't a, a professor yet. I, I was uh, I was still doing my PhD at the time, and uh, it was the second course I ever taught. So it was I, I, I never remember I never forget the experience where I went in uh, in the lecture. The, you know, there was a huge lecture hall with over 200 students. It was my basically first teaching, you know, second teaching experience, but for that big of a classroom, the first teaching experience, it was just quite, uh, quite interesting. I'm used to teach C++ back there. And I kept teaching that until 2015. Um, so in 2015, um, uh, I was approached by um, the school with regards to the idea of changing 233 to make it a little bit more creative. And um, we had a team, it, was, it, was, it consisted of me and uh, Dr. Emily Marasco. We were both, both graduate students at the time. And we were tasked uh, with uh, flipping the, 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 the classroom. And that means that's a teaching module, that's a teaching model that you would watch something or you would read something and you would come to class to to practice rather than to learn so you change your role as the instructor as somebody who just you know talks at the student most uh, to a coach so that they know the material and you're going to do problem solving for them so it's a very um powerful teaching approach so that you know i'm, I'm sure students you've all been in that situation where you show up to a lecture it's almost like a deer and headlight um situation where you just so, sort of show up and the, and the professor starts teaching and Sometimes it can feel like uh, reading, um, uh, drinking from a fire hose. And a lot of the instructors, um, professors, teachers in general, they, they advise you that, you know what, I'm going to talk about this concept, so make sure you read ahead. And by the way, that's a very powerful thing for you students to do. Two things, um, study the concepts before you come to class or so know what the prof is going to talk about. Just go over it really quickly so you're not just blank when he's talking about things. So read the material before lectures and then right after the lecture, spend some time and go through the material again. That's a very powerful way of doing well. Um, so that's what flipped classroom does. 
And that's what we did. So I recorded videos. Um, at the, I remember this was in 2015. I was writing my PhD thesis and recording videos with lots of um, uh, long uh, nights. A true story, I actually took the... Uh, the clock at the bottom of my screen, I took it off because I didn't want people to see that I'm recording videos at like 2 a.m. Um, and so it was, it was a crazy, crazy semester. I was recording these videos and we taught uh, that course using processing, which is basically a, a tool that's, that wraps around Java. So you're programming in Java, but you have access to very powerful uh, graphics libraries. So you can just write Java and then see... Uh, uh, and then see uh, uh, animations. So we taught this course starting 2015, uh, and, and the course evolved from there. After the first year, we reflected what went wrong, what went right. We made the course better each semester, and the response has just been so positive. I'll give you a little bit of a background for this. So when I first started teaching 233, like regularly, the students liked me, you know, I liked the students. My, my course evaluations were all fine. It was about, you know, let's say out of seven, I was getting 6.3, 6.2, something like that. When we flipped it the first year and the second year, uh, I got something like 5.8, which is still okay out of seven, uh, but it wasn't as good as I was getting. And then after the, after the second year, when we went into the third year, because we had really learned how to do it, um, my evaluations would, were, you know, the student responses were overwhelming. I got, uh, you know, I was getting above 6.5, 6.6 out of seven. And uh, last year I received uh, ESS uh, Professor of the Year for the entire um, uh, first year cohort, which was a great honor. And I was very thankful for that. But um, I, I sort of got, took that from the validation uh, from the students that they're really enjoying the, enjoying the course. Um, some of the reasons that maybe why the first couple of years it wasn't, um, it, you know, the students were still struggling with the way the course was, was that the students were watching my videos and then I would go to these in-person one-hour lectures and perhaps I was repeating too much of the videos then. But then from the consequent years, what I did was that I just trusted that the students know the material. And that's a hard thing to do, right? I, I trusted that the students know the material and then I would come to lecture and I would just problem solve. So you know what? I've taught you loops. Now I'm just going to come and I'll show you examples of loops. And that was a scary thing to do because I thought that, well, what if I'm losing them and they haven't watched the videos? And then I said, you know what? I'm just going to trust them. They have quizzes to answer anyway. So I'm just going to say that they do and, and do this. And then from there, it just worked really well. Yeah, I think as a um, second year engineering student now, um, I think first year coming Coming into first year and taking the course, actually, 233 was one of my favorite courses and one that I did um, Excellent. That's great to hear. very Thank well you. in. And um, I think part of that engagement uh, was also due to the flipped classroom method. And I think um, that was my first year. That was the, the only flipped classroom um, environment that I was that I had been uh, in. And so... Uh, it was kind of a different learning environment, and I think there's there's kind of a barrier uh, where, when watching you on in online uh, was very, and seeing you in person for the first time uh, was very surreal and weird. And I think uh, because of COVID, um, this I'm sure is also a problem for many more students coming in uh, into class uh, in person after a while of just seeing their professors and online. 
I, uh, I, I sort of talked about my experience back in 2012 when I went into my first 233 classroom and I just loved it. I loved being able to help students succeed and, and, and help them teach and, um, and all that stuff. And uh, this was a, a, a really, really good experience in, uh, in general. And I really got, got hooked. I, I say that I didn't get into teaching because of grading, <laughs> because I love to grade. I got into teaching because, you know, I love to lecture and I love to have discussions with students. And unfortunately, this has been limited quite a bit um, due, to, uh, due to COVID. So can't wait to uh, get back to the classroom. But um, I think uh, during COVID times, I definitely had uh, an edge, uh, perhaps compared to many other uh, instructors, because I had worked uh, online learning and I knew, you know, what 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 things kind of works and what doesn't work, um, and how important is that sort of human connection. Uh, when I was um, um, there's a professor in mechanical engineering uh, that really helped me in uh, in creating these lecture uh, materials uh, for 233 back in 2015, and he really mentored me, uh, Dr. Ron Hugo, who um, has a lot of videos in um, in in mechanical engineering, and he had, and, and they're all on YouTube, and his videos are really sort of world famous, and and you know he's got like thousands and thousands of subscribers on, on YouTube, people who watch his videos. And, and uh, I was really grateful to have him as a mentor. And one of the things that he said to me early on was that, you know what, you're recording these videos, but record yourself too. So it shouldn't just be you talking over your slides or your, you know, your code or whatever. It should also be your picture there as well to personalize that experience. Um, and uh, and I did that. And I think that made a huge, huge difference uh, because, you know, as, a, as an instructor, when you communicate with your with your students, you need to be able to uh, you need to really be able to connect to them. That connection is huge, and it's more difficult to do it in university when you have two hundred people in front of you. It's it's harder to connect to to them, but making that connection is so important. And I think people who are really successful in teaching they do that. You know, they 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 they, they are able to sort of reach out and um, uh, get to know their students, and that's uh, a big challenge that we need to overcome in in, in COVID times. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, so what is ENG233 in a nutshell? Can you talk a little bit more of the structure and the final project that students get to do? Absolutely. So ENG233, it's uh, Introduction to Programming. So if you come to ENG233, and by the way, I'm a UCalgary grad myself, and uh, I came to... Um, I came to University of Calgary to, uh, to, to get my engineering degree, and I had to take ENG233. Uh, so I didn't know any programming when I, when I started here. Uh, and uh, so a lot of students, some of them know programming, some of them don't. ENG233 is, is the course that makes you programming literate. So you're going to be able to read code and you're going to write code. And that's a very good thing. I mean, it's a course that if you're if you're a beginner, you don't really have to be intimidated by it. And, and if you know how to program uh, a little bit, you're still going to be uh, challenged by it. Uh, our goal is to teach uh, engineers the ability to to read and write code and to be able to understand how computers uh, work. Um, and, and this is irrelevant. I mean, the language is, is, is the best irrelevant as long as you know how to program. I mean, some languages are better than for some other things, but uh, um, ever since I joined the 233 team, 
I've taught this course in, in C++, then processing, and now in Python. And uh, the content is more or less the same. It's just that different tools in different languages, but the constructs are the same. So when you write program, the computers need to make decisions, if and else statements. The computers need to repeat tasks, uh, loops. The computers need to modularize tasks, uh, functions. So all those things are, are basically the same in all these different languages, but you know maybe uh, how they're used. And the final project serves as uh, that. So that's another teaching methodology that you guys should uh, take a note of. So I talked about flip learning. Even if the course is in flip learning, you should, you know, read ahead and, and, and exercise the flip approach a little bit. Um, the other thing is project-based learning, PBL. So PBL, I'm a huge believer of PBL, especially being a software engineer. Um, I strongly believe that you learn by doing and hands-on learning is everything. We are, we are practitioners, especially software engineers. We are practitioners. We sit there and we build things with our own hands on the computer. There's no technicians or nobody else. We got to be able to do it. So PBL is extremely important. So in any course that I teach, 233, 409, 593, whatever. Uh, what I do is that I, I, I take a hybrid approach. Um, in the beginning of the course, I do assignments. So I teach a concept, loops, you have an assignment on loops. I teach a concept, if and else statements, you have an assignment on it. And then at the end of the course, depending on the course, last three weeks or last six weeks, what I do, I say, okay, all these things that I taught, they all come together in this project. So you get to exercise everything that you've learned in this sort of mega project to, uh, to, to do it. And uh, I find that it works great because it's, it's kind of like you know, in, in, in any sport. So like, let's say you're, you're learning how to swim. You, they, they teach you all the motions. So you move your hand this way. You move your neck that way. So they teach you all of that. And now you, know, you go in the deep end and you're supposed to combine all those moves together. And that's where you learn. So there's individual concepts. Okay, you got the individual concepts. Now let's put them in practice in a bigger project. And um, PBL is where we win as a, as a, as instructors that's where we can kind of see how our students do and if they're able to um to build stuff and my teaching philosophy is basically um given in one sentence students sorry engineers are builders and that's it so i'm in the in the business of training builders people who can build stuff um, and um, that is uh, that's why I do flip learning so I can have more of a be more of a coach. Uh, builders are, are supposed to be able to learn things on their own and, and, and know things. Uh, you know, when you're trying to build stuff, you can't just like blindly put something in place. You got to examine stuff. Um, so uh, flip learning really provides the students of that. And then project based learning, you work on a project based on everything you have learned in the course, and then you got to practice your uh, your engineering skills. And then lastly, best practices, which is uh, a key uh, element in any practice. So um, uh, any fool can write code. I mean, that's a code from somebody that I'm stealing. Anybody can just write code, but, but to actually write it using best practices, that's quite another thing. Are you writing code that's easily tested are you writing code that uh, that's modular and can be reused or are you or do you just have this giant file that everything is in there and then you just don't ever touch it because if you touch anything god knows what happens um so so best practices lies on top of uh project-based learning um so it, it all in all it becomes a very powerful combination uh to train engineers to be builders 
Yeah, uh, for me, the hardest part of the course would probably be the project at the end, the final project. Um, but it was also the most rewarding because it, well, in a sense, it's very different from the labs where you kind of have guidance all the way through. Well, with the projects, you do have guidance, but I think it was my first time actually doing a project from start to end. And even even that, I ha- had helped. I think uh, also what's important is tr- building confidence in, you know, first-year students like myself who never had to do any uh, extensive coding projects before. And I actually still have my fr- project from first year on my laptop um, uh, in, in memory just because I think it's it's something worth keeping. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, projects are uh, are extremely important, I think, in any concept uh, that you are doing. Uh, uh, doing projects allows you to really um, go beyond the course and, and see all the problems that could appear. I mean, assignments are important, right? Like if I teach you something, I would like to give you an assignment so you can practice that one thing, right? Um, but uh, that's not how, and that's important, but uh, assignments can be a little bit cookie cutter, right? Because this is one concept, you practice that. But then putting everything together, that's that's really, really important. And do it in, a, in an elegant way, using best practices, that is really important. And I think at the end of the day, um, a lot of people apply to do, let's say, summer research with me. And I'm delighted to see that they post, uh, they, they put my projects on their resumes. Um, saying that we've done this and that. And students do recognize that. And I think that um, as we give students more projects, it makes things easier um, for the students to create their resumes because they can put these projects on their resumes and, and really talk about them. And employers really, really like that, you know, at the end of the day. Um, in software engineering, we keep telling our students to, to do other projects so that they, when they do these projects, they can put them on their resume. But uh, the problem is students are really busy. I mean, yes, if you're a software engineer, let's say, uh, you're supposed to be coding a lot, but then you also have a life, right? There's, there's other dimensions to your to your, uh, to your your time. So, I mean, it's it's kind of difficult to expect them that to, to code full-time in school and then go home and then work on other projects. So then when I give them these projects or they take projects in other, other courses, they're able to showcase these projects and build a portfolio for themselves, you know, put it on the GitHub account and, and really take credit uh, for these uh, sort of larger projects. Because, um, you know, certainly if you're ever in, a, in an employer type position, you, you really, it catches your interest when you see people have worked on a project because um, the project can have many different aspects that uh, a simple assignment just simply doesn't. I totally agree. And as you mentioned before, the decision to switch from teaching processing to Python what led to to that? So a lot of that has to do with uh, the data-centric approach that Shulik is taking. Uh, I think at Shulik, um, uh, we are realizing that uh, uh, engineers need to need to program and need to learn programming because of data. Um, data is extremely important no matter what type of engineering field you work in. So civil, chemical, petroleum, electrical, there's going to be a ton of data and, and successful engineers are the ones who are able to look at the data and make decisions. Um, so Python, because it's used in machine learning, in data analytics, it has a lot of interesting libraries. It allows you to work with data quite, quite nicely. 
Um, and uh, it's uh, it's uh, probably the number one language used for machine learning and data analytics, uh, along with some others such as R and and you know um, uh, what have you. But uh, um, uh, Python is a uh, is very powerful uh, in that uh, in that regards, and, and and it makes things a lot easier for people who want to um, do data analysis. And we have a digital. Um, uh, minor at, at Schulich, so it's sort of a digital spine that goes from first year all the way up, and we wanted 233 to act as the as the foundation of this digital spine. So everybody knows Python, everybody knows how to do some data analytics with Python, and then they go to these other courses for, for the digital spine, and they're able to, to, to perform. So uh, this was a decision made to, um, to make sure that 233 is a little bit more data-centric rather than just uh, rather than just programming. So um, it's, it, I can kind of go into the differences between teaching processing and Python. It's, it's uh, um, you know, with, with Python is a language that is a scripting language, right? It's not even, you know, so much programming that is scripting and, and it does so much for you. When you teach people how to program, when you teach people how to program, uh, you're supposed to teach them algorithms. For example, you're supposed to give them an array let's say five elements long or five billion elements long, and then tell them to sort it. And they're supposed to you know, write code. And there are different types of algorithms that you can implement, such as you know, merge sorts, bubble sort, quick sort, all these different algorithms that will give you different performance. So then I could teach a course on this. I could teach a whole course on this for a whole semester or even beyond. Um, but the thing with, with, with Python is that it has so many powerful libraries that you can just kind of say sort or you can just, you know, like it's it just a lot easier to pre-program in Python. So then as such, it becomes more difficult to teach programming using Python because it just makes everything so simple. It's almost like, um, you know, teaching a math class with a graphic calculator, you know. <laughs> so it just makes things, um, you know, it's, it's, it becomes more difficult to teach some of those algorithmic um, things, um, but uh, but I think we got a good mix of that in this uh, in this course, and uh, and we were able to really sort of focus on uh, on the data part. So the the project did involve uh, uh, you know data analytics and and and, and, and NumPy and 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 all that uh, all that stuff. So they were able to use some of these powerful libraries to be able to do stuff, and I think that's going to be an asset uh, for them uh, moving forward in their in their engineering career. It's funny when you said that uh, because the language is so simple that it's harder to teach. Uh, and as someone who has done, who who did a lot of programming in Python before entering university, and then coming back to Python after learning processing and C, it feels weird. Um, Python feels chaotic and very unstructured in its own way, just because it's it's basically anarchy. One of the one of the examples. Um, that I will use is having to not uh, put semicolons everywhere, and it's it's such a big even that is such a big jump from yeah yeah um, C and processing for sure. And I tell you this, let me let me elaborate on this a little bit more. So when you want to teach programming, if you ask a software engineer to teach programming, um, well. I'm like, okay, well, I can teach you programming. And, and where, I, where I would really double down and where I would spend a lot of my time, because to me, when I'm teaching people how programming, I want them to become programmers, right? Um, so what I would do is that I would go to, to memory management right away to tell people how the computer structures memory. 
Um, and, uh, and then I would also go into algorithms to try to teach people how to write step-by-step -step algorithms and how to analyze them. Um, so a best language for this probably would be C++, where you have pointers and you can teach people exactly what's happening in memory and draw that out for them. Now, if they say, okay, well, come and teach Python, then, then you know, whoever teaches Python, let's say me, then we should make that decision. You should, you should realize that Python is not the best language to teach memory management and teach algorithms and all that stuff, like, because it just makes things, it makes so many things so much easier. You don't have to worry about pointers or anything else. You just write code and it does a lot for you in the back end. So when you teach um, Python, then I think you need to teach less programming because there's just less to say. It does everything for you. Um, so then teaching Python, it, in my opinion, it becomes less of a programming class and more of a data class where you say, okay, here is Python, here's you get started. Don't worry about memory management, don't worry about anything else. Here's you get started. And then let's actually solve more challenging problems in terms of data. Things that would take a C++ programmer days to write, you can write it you know, within, within 10 minutes because you just have access to all these like um, uh, libraries and, and, and matrix libraries and all, and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that, you know, Python is not statically um, typed means that you don't have to say this is an integer, this is a double. Yeah, so exactly. It's like a, yeah, it's yeah. like a free fall. And, and I mean, the performance cost and all that. But th that, that's basically what I mean. So when you teach Python, um, I think you, you need to step away from teaching uh, a, a pure programming course. So, so, so th 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 there are pros and cons to that. But, but I think you know, there's definitely room for, for teaching a good Python course and, and to teach all those uh, data principles or uh, programming constructs so that people can kind of go and, and download the data and, and process it and visualize it and do all that, all that fun stuff with it. So I think... Um, even though the constructs are more or less the same, you need to you need to change your uh, the way you teach uh, programming when you move uh, to a language like Python, and that's that's what was the biggest challenge for me teaching Python this semester. Yeah, I don't think you realize how much. Um, well, at least I didn't. How much uh, the course is about memory management instead of anything else, and with Python, that's that's reduced very significantly. When you hear many students say that they don't care about the course or doing well in it because they're not planning on going into software or electrical engineering, what do you think of this? Well, listen, I think that uh, programming is, um, I, I think that's a valid comment to a point, right? I think that's, that's a valid comment to a point that, that you know, you got to, first of all, you got to enjoy uh, what you do, right? I mean, that's the most important thing in the world. Um, at the end of the day, whatever you're doing in school, you're going to do so much more of it. So you really do have to enjoy it. And I think it's a fair comment for somebody who, to say that maybe they don't necessarily enjoy programming. Um, but I would uh, argue to say, first of all, like try to give it a chance, right? Try to give it a chance. And the other thing is, I don't, I'm not sure if there's anything in life that you don't use, especially programming. Um, you never learning is so important. Learning everything as much as as much as you can. Um, engineers need to need to understand this. Like, there's nothing that you're not gonna need. Like, everything is gonna be needed in in life. Even um, you know, even even math. Like, let, let's say we say software engineers may not need math. 
Well, listen, I went and worked for a lot of oil and gas companies doing a lot of simulation software and I was doing calculus and I was doing so much math and linear algebra and 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 I had to sort of pick that stuff up and I had a clear edge over my computer science uh, counterparts because I had done more math as an engineer. So um, you never know what you're going to need uh, a, a certain concept or a certain uh, topic or another interesting thing like when I was in high school, maybe I would have said I don't really need social studies that much or let's say concepts like psychology. Maybe I didn't really care about you come into software engineering and um, psychology is a big part of everything. It is a big part of project management. It's a big part of how to deal with clients, how to deal with your boss, uh, how to even design applications. Um, so, so you need to pay attention to that. So we got to understand how everything kind of relates. You know, I, I'm sorry for the sort of the long winded um philosophical answer uh, but so so i say you we shouldn't dismiss knowledge number one number two we live in a very digital world i mean everything is on computers now you you produce data all the time to be able to write code write scripts not even code right write scripts to be able to get data automatically and graph it and plot it you know that's a that's a really valuable skill to have i mean that's one that that's you you want to be able to do stuff so it's not so much programming it's automation. As engineers, you need to be able to automate and programming gives you that power. So absolutely everybody, everybody should be able to uh, read and write code and they should develop a vision of how they can automate, automate tasks and automate learning from data. That's, that's the future of engineering and you got to realize it. I mean, you got to realize what game you're in. And you got to, you got to play that game. You can't, you can't fall behind. I mean, gone are the days where you just um, you know, you didn't care about how much data there was, or you just sort of uh, did things. I mean, things are changing. Uh, it's a very fast moving world and you, you want to get every edge that, uh, that you can. And at the most fundamental level, I think just like math isn't about learning number theory, I think um, programming serves to just uh, have you develop your problem solving skills. And I think um even solving through simple problems like how to make a ball move across a screen made me think about the logic that i or the approach that i take to kind of solve all the problems in in just all my courses and and life in general because you know with programming you need to understand how to solve problems before even you know typing for me that was the case i needed to kind of write out all of my uh, thoughts and kind of solutions and my approach to a problem and then do all the loops and then do all the coding you know absolutely absolutely yes uh, and uh, you know being able to being able to automate um, um, your tasks are, are so important I mean you show me any field and I can show you so many different uh, approaches that you can uh, you can do to uh, be able to you know, automate those tasks and be able to make um, sort of uh, uh, your life so much easier and figure out ways to save the company money and and, and just understand things. Like um, in, in any field that you go, uh, you're going to get sheets and sheets and, you know, megabytes and gigabytes of data. And then um, I've, I've seen engineers um, go through this data using like dozens and dozens of Excel sheets. And it's just painful to watch and painful to work with. And if you just knew like a little bit of Python, you could just save everybody so much time. 
And I think optimization and efficiency should be at the part of your top of your list as engineers. Uh, people are going to love you when you save the company money, when you make processes more efficient. And, and trust me, programming is one way um, to, uh, to do it. Probably the top way to do it. I definitely agree with, with that. Um... You know what I mean? Like I urge, I urge everybody to be entrepreneurial minded if you're an engineer. And uh, I'll tell you this. When you're in engineering, you're learning skills. Engineering is measured by dollars, by money. And I don't mean to sound like a huge capitalist of, of some sort, but uh, engineers, we create value. So let's say you're, you want to go to a village and you want to do pro bono work and you want to um, give them clean water and, and, and whatever. You don't even want to make a dollar out of it. Okay, that's completely fine. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's completely fine. But the value of your work is still measured in terms of dollars. So how much did you save um, uh, in terms of dollars? So like our work is measured in terms of, in terms of money. So like what value are we generating for the world? And the unit to measure that is dollars. So then engineers, you need to understand you're not professional students. You're not, your goal isn't to pass these courses and get the degree. That's not your goal at all. Your goal is to try to learn skills that are going to generate value for you or for society or for whoever, whatever you, you care about. So whatever cause you care about, is it your own pocket or the society or the clean environment or whatever? What, what value can you generate? So you go into these classes and you learn those concepts with the, with the mind, um, with, with, with how you can generate value. And I will throw at you another teaching term. It's called contextualized learning. When you learn something, you realize how do other engineers use this to make money or to generate value? If it is the Fourier transform, whether it is balancing a load, uh, whether it is a free body diagram, how do people generate value out of this? So, you know, like scientists, they look at the concept and they study it. We look at the concept and we see well, how can we do this to serve humanity, whether that humanity is your, you know, part of is your bank account or somebody else's bank account or like, you know, just people in general. That's what you need to think about. So when you go to school, your goal is really not to get an A. That's just a nice thing to have at the end. And you will get an A. Your goal is, OK, well, how can I use this knowledge to be able to, um, you know, generate more value? And, and, and you need to think about things that way. Uh, and that's why when I say you need to be entrepreneurial minded, because even if you work for a charity, you need to be entrepreneurial minded, meaning how do you use your resources to the best way that you can? That is a very, this, this is a very insightful conversation because like you said, even when you're working for a charity, even when you're not taking in money to your own pocket for yourself, it matters how much um, you, how much you help people is, measured in terms of money and and absolutely many people um again many students in my positions think of courses as just a requirement just a method to get an a and mm -hmm. that what you just said is motivational but also it doesn't stress you out you want to do good not because of the grade not because of the the value of that 
A or whatever. Absolutely, absolutely. At, at the end of the day, we go through the motions of school. You know, when you come out of high school, I mean, you, you become a professional student, essentially. Like you just take courses and then you get A's and, and you get B's and then you're judged based on that and they give you scholarships and they don't give you scholarships and they give you props or they don't give you props because of how well you do. And, and you just, you know, it becomes sort of a... Um, you know, a carrot almost that you kind of go towards. At first, they give you smiley faces, then they give you like percent high percentages, and they give you A's, and you just become conditioned with that, and, and, and you just kind of go through the motions. And I think um, the people who are really successful in, in engineering and other disciplines too is that they really understand what is the what is the goal. Again, the goal isn't really to get an A, or the goal isn't even to get an engineering degree. I mean, look at all these. But, you know, look at all these people who are who have who make these companies like the founders of Google or, or Bill Gates or who, all these different people who kind of quit school and they go and <laughs> they, they make these companies. Not that I'm advocating for people to quit school or anything like that, but I'm just saying like your goal isn't really necessarily to to get an A in a course. Your goal is to to learn. I mean, it's, it's an every course is an opportunity because guess what? When you don't take that opportunity and, and you get disrupted because you have too many courses and life happens, what ends up happening? is after a while when you graduate then you got to go back and learn all that material and that's and that's time and that's and that's time wasted so uh, being entrepreneurial minded and looking at things in terms of resources uh, your time being the most valuable resource is the most the most important thing that you want to do and then i don't want to sort of go on and on and i want to sort of you know if you have other questions but do remind me to talk about sort of a balanced uh, lifestyle at the end because i think that's very very important actually i will ask you about advice for general incoming students but before that i need to ask you a few more things you've been involved in planning and delivering shulik ignite can that's you right. talk more about what shulik ignite is and how it helps students prepare for the engineering curriculum absolutely so um Shulik Ignite started with um, with an idea. Google had uh, a program called Google Ignite, and Google Ignite was a program that uh, that Google would sponsor. So they would give universities some money. They would give the universities uh, structure and 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 material to create these programs uh, to teach high school students how to program. They would give you the pedagogy of how you're supposed to do this. So, for example, if I was going to do it on my own, I probably would just stand at, at front of the class and I would teach you how to program. But Google had said, no, we want you to do a mentorship structure, meaning that every one, every two to five students would have a mentor so that the mentor can can help them out. And, and it's sort of a different than, than you just have a class. And so it gave us all those things that we had to apply for it. And a colleague of mine brought this to my attention, Dr. Lala Bejat. Lala and I uh, wrote this proposal together. And it also really focused on diversity. So how can we increase the number of women in engineering? So they wanted uh, more women to sign up for these classes and they wanted 50% of the participants to be women. So we started to advertise and we, we started to advertise for mentors who are university students and also, also high school students. And we got a really good leadership team back in 2016 together. And FEMA students, they recruited students. And uh, Lana and I were also involved. We delivered some lectures. And, uh, but then the students really sort of took over and did a fantastic job. And they, they became a club year, year over year. And um, for the last, since 2016, I think uh, now it's, uh, two, uh, you know, in, and now we have very structured student club uh, named Shulik Ignite. 
Uh, we rebranded to Shulik Ignite afterwards. At the time, we were one of the four universities in Canada that Google chose to give us the funding and the structures. We're very thankful for that. And they helped us out for the first year. And then they asked everybody to just rebrand and make it their own. And, and we did rebrand to Shulik Ignite. So we have graduated over a thousand students, high school students so far. And the, pro, the, the workshops essentially teach you how to, how to program using a mentorship structure. So it's a very hands-on, you show up to class, they give you a little bit of an introduction about programming concepts and they give you a problem. You're supposed to work on it with the help of uh, your mentors. So I think every semester we have something in the range of 30 to 50 undergraduate students. Uh, who who work as mentors and structure these classes. Our current club is just amazing. They they work they're very structured. They, they have a very good guidelines in place, and they they offer workshops in the fall, in the winter, and in the summer. And it's a great outlet for for students for high school students to come see the university environment talk to university students get some mentorship and develop some um, programming skills early on yeah and you mentioned about making the the playing field equal and in a previous episode uh, shivek and agam who are the other content creators talked about the lack of accessibility to these kinds of educational uh, experiences especially in programming obviously not every school offers programming courses and personally unfortunately my high school offered robotics classes which i didn't take them but i know some people who did and enjoyed enjoyed it but of course surely has many students from all over the world and it's definitely a challenge to try to level the playing field that way for everybody that's right Absolutely. And and I think having gone through the program, I actually enrolled in, in Shulik Ignite before entering high school. Being able to, to look at the programming language and be mentored by someone who knows the language. Was, Absolutely. Even if I had already had some experience with Python before, it was great. It was a great experience and I think it benefits everybody. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, the students who mentor benefit from that leadership experience. The high school students benefit a lot. Um, I, as a faculty member who participated in it, I benefited quite a bit just just by learning so for example Shulik Ignite what we do is that instead of like an instructor going and lecturing for like let's say an hour and then getting people to do stuff I learned that you know what it's good to just sort of uh, get people experiencing things right away so from there on when I when I used to uh, teach programming I would I would kind of go and say uh, open up your laptop and I want you to do this and I get people to just kind of program using uh, the Shulik Ignite format. Of course, I didn't have all the mentors around, but uh, just rather than going on and on about something, I would get people to open up their laptops and do something uh, and then let me do it and kind of go from there. Yeah, you have published several papers on engineering education and developing creative, more engaging approaches to teaching classes. That's, that's Where did right. the interest come from? What are the most interesting or key takeaways from these research findings? I think you've mentioned this, you know, with the flipped classroom, you've mentioned a bunch of a bunch of results you've you've gathered but what Absolutely. what lessons can students use to help themselves learn for sure um so it's so a great question thank you for that uh, so my phd in software development and architecture and and requirement analysis and uh my background in um industry you know i worked in industry and i, and I trained a lot of people in the industry back in the day but i had I've, I've had several startups or worked for different startups and and, and smaller companies to where we needed to train a lot of people and a lot of times because of cost issues we would hire more junior people that we had to train them 
And software process is really big too. So this whole training and teaching was a big area of interest for me because that's another thing that you can generate a lot of value where, where, you, where you hire a few people and you train them to, be, to, to develop uh, software and you generate value there. So, and I think that's a, that's a very important part of software engineering is to, is to be able to train a team and make sure that the team is up to date. And, and that's why I became really, really interested in it. So it's not so much just, just the teaching aspect of it. I, I think that's very much at, at, the, at, at the heart of engineering. I'll give you a quick example. For Shulik Ignite, we have built a new platform. We built a platform that allows people to program right on the browser while looking at the stream of the instructor and then allowing people to go into breakout rooms and talk with uh, with different people. We built this by help of a startup in Calgary, but then also mostly a lot of our own students. So last summer, I had about 14 people working on this project, all University of Calgary students, and we had to train them. And it was funny, we started in, in May, and I think May and, and half of June probably went into training. By about mid-July, it was like we had a whole software company. So we had generated value out of thin air. I mean, of course, all these students, they knew how to program, but they, they weren't familiar with the tech stack and the, the complexity of the, of the project. But by, by mid-July, everybody, everybody was doing a, a, a great job. And it was, like, it was like we had a whole software company. Like we could have started a software company at that point. I'm actually like that whole experience of how we came and trained everybody and we were able to create a project. We are, we are authoring a book on this uh, that we're hoping to publish this year. I'm, we're, I'm authoring this book with one of my research associates who is a software engineer student here, Anusha Raisinejad, and a PhD student here who works with Dr. Farr by the name of Youssef Mehtad. And um, it's, it's, it's a great experience that it shows how students learn and how we can teach them to be able to be able to be successful in industry. The book is being written from three different perspectives. Perspective of the interns, so Nusha. You know, we had 14 interns, so she has collected all their experiences. And the experience of a professor, so I have taught all these people in different courses, and let's see how they do. So it was kind of like me being a fly on the wall while these guys were uh, at, at their jobs, and what do they struggle with? And I looked at it, and I said, hmm, I should have taught them this, or I should have taught them that. And the third perspective is from the perspective of the industry. So the, so the startup that was helping us or the company that was helping us uh, develop this software. And uh, so those technicians give, give us sort of feedback. So it, it's becoming a really, a really comprehensive account of how we should really teach people. So the biggest thing that I've got to tell you is teaching people how to learn. So providing them enough support, but then enough support that they're not struggling, but allowing them to learn on their own. That's the biggest thing. And then just hands-on teaching, uh, hands-on learning, and, and making sure that the students develop the confidence uh, to go forward. These are so, some of the biggest points that I see that we need to emphasize a lot more. I'm hoping by this summer, so we are in talks with the, with the, with the publishers and, you know, we're still sort of working on a few chapters. It's, it's pretty much done. Hoping by the summer or, or maybe a little bit after the summer, we get it published. There's, a, there's an interesting book called The Phoenix Project. The Phoenix Project is a, it's, it's like a novel uh, of an IT project. So it's, it reads like a novel, like you're reading a story, but it's about uh, how an IT project kind of goes. And our project is kind of the same. We're calling it the Ignite Project. I think it's a working title, but, but essentially the, it's the idea that how do you train interns 
and how do you generate value out of it? And I think that same sort of philosophy we are putting into uh, into our software engineering program. Yeah, and I think both educators and students alike would benefit from reading that book. Absolutely, absolutely. And industry too. I think industry, there, there are a lot of companies who sometimes hesitate uh, in, in hiring interns because of how much um, upfront cost there is in training them. And I think that understanding how they can they can train interns, they can generate a lot of value from it. I mean, it's if you take the right approach and if you put it, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a capital cost you put in, but just investing in in the people so um, I think as a professor I learned quite a bit from that project and certainly the industry folks that I have talked to about this and I have asked them to read chapters and, and give me feedback you know they have definitely indicated that this is quite interesting for them so this is a question that you've been looking forward to you've given us so so much um, valuable advice but any more advice for general incoming students that you would like to give in terms of managing workload, stress, or student life? With the incoming students, I think two things. Realizing what you want, okay? Are you here just because you think you're supposed to be here because high school is done and then you just got to do more schooling? Or are you here because you actually have a goal? So, so be very candid with yourself. The, the hardest part of life I've always said is, is figuring out what you want. I mean, once you know what you want, then the rest is easy. Then you just do that. I mean, do you want to, do you have a goal? Do you want to work towards that? Or do you want to, you know, relax and watch TV? And then there's nothing wrong with that. You know, do whatever you want, right? So be goal-oriented. Know where you are. You're no longer in high school anymore. Like there is no, you know, understand that you are here to be a professional. So you need to be budgeting your time. Uh, you need to, you need to understand that you're in a new environment. Know that there is a lot that you don't know. So, so thread carefully be very stingy with your time just just be very mindful of your time and don't waste it don't go to the, this event and that event and the next event uh, understand what you're trying to do focus on your courses and once you pass first year with decent results you can just rinse and repeat for the rest you know like you, you're just really gonna know what's going on I think first year students can just be like a deer and headlight situation where they just come, there are all these courses and they're just not sort of successful. And then, you know, what I've talked about being entrepreneurial minded is extremely important. And one thing that I'll say general advice to, to all students, you know, first year is when, you know, you go beyond, you don't realize how important this is. And this is, this may sound cliche, but honestly, the most important thing in life is just, is just being happy right? I mean, being happy is the most important thing. And, and it doesn't really matter, you know, if you're the CEO of Apple, or if you just have like simple, you know, whatever, at, at whatever place. Um, so so try to have a very balanced life. I mean, life is short, you want to enjoy it, you're supposed to get enjoyment out of your work, don't get burned out. I, I was a very one dimensional person for a lot of uh, years in my life, uh, I gained a lot of weight, I would just sit behind a computer and code all day. And you know, don't be like that, you know, go to the gym more, uh, make sure you eat well, that's, that's really important. Just have a really well balanced life, you know, make sure you have time to spend with your family, you know, a little bit of time with your friends. Don't waste time, of course, but I mean, make sure you have some leisure time and just enjoy yourself and make sure you think positive, you know, like life is hard. Everybody's struggling. Okay. Make sure you always tell yourself that, yes, you can do it. You're doing well. Don't compare yourself with everybody. Like I can, I, I, you know, I shouldn't really sit here and, and compare myself with Zuckerberg and say that he's a billionaire and I'm, you know, not a billionaire. <laughs> I just get upset and you shouldn't compare yourself with like this super 4.0 person and think that because you have a 3.0, you're losing. Not, life is not about that. Just enjoy yourself, be happy, be comfortable with your in, in your own skin. 
and network, talk to people, learn from people, and just enjoy yourself, right? Um, your life is not going to start when you get your degree. Your life is now. So enjoy it now. And you're going to have different problems all throughout life. Uh, so you got you to gotta be in the moment. Be in the moment. Enjoy the moment. And uh, live a really well-balanced life. And school and work is part of that. Get serious about it and just do really well. Thank you. I've really enjoyed talking to you today. I think this concludes our meeting for today. Excellent. I enjoyed talking to you too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking to me today. And thank you to everyone for listening. So yes, we will see you again in the next episode. Thank you.